Hello and welcome to this week's uh, Photographic Life. I'm recording this on a Friday morning. Actually, a nice, crisp, cold Friday morning in the shed. I like those autumnal mornings, or those of you listening in the States in the fall. Um, and that's relevant, actually, me picking up on that fact of our American listeners, um, because this morning the mugshot of Donald Trump was released. And I think it's worth pointing out at this point, the power of the photograph. We all know iconic images that go through time, that define certain areas of history. It's what, to me, photography is. Photography is history. And we all talk an awful lot about composition and light and cameras and training and all of those kinds of elements that we see as being important to the photographic medium. But the reality is that this image has been created by a non-photographer in a non-photography situation. And what Trump decided to do, I'm not really sure. I think what he's done has failed because, to my mind, he's revealed his true personality. Or perhaps the camera has done that. To me, he comes over as evil, as determined, as angry, as scared. But it didn't take any special lighting, no post-production, It just took somebody to look into a lens. In a sense, I suppose, you could call that mugshot pure photography. Something I've seen recently that seems to almost kind of segue into that thinking um, came up on YouTube. Um, I am a big fan of keeping up with American politics and... Everything's been moving so quickly recently that I find that YouTube is a good place to get those little news snippets. And what's come up on my algorithm, no doubt someone's been listening to me uh, through my phone, through my television, through my laptop, and they seem to think that I'm interested in photography. And so some little films started to come up, um, produced by a photographer called uh, Thomas Heaton, H-E-A-T-O-N. And he's a landscape photographer. And many of you must know about him because he says this about his work. Uh, I got serious about photography when I was 16. I love being outside and I love the never-ending challenge of trying to portray that feeling. You know, the warm evenings at twilight, the sense of isolation when you have a mountain to yourself the sound of waves lapping the shore of an empty beach. My images are all about the outdoors and telling a story. To help tell this story, I have created a YouTube channel which has over 390,000 followers and 32 million plus views. It seems I share my values with a lot of other people. And that's great. And good luck to Thomas. I'm not going to comment on his work. It's not work that really talks to me. Or I have to say, um, really, I think, I don't feel it really imbues what he's saying. But, you know, that's just a personal opinion. What I do think is quite interesting is these little films on YouTube seem to have absolutely nothing to do with photography. They're all about his van, um, building things for his van. They're about the kit in the van, uh, his 
our love for making perfect coffee, his batteries, his building things in his garage with a wider range uh, of, of equipment that he seems to have to do all that stuff. Now, again, that's absolutely fine. You know, it does seem to me that a lot of people working in his world of landscape photography are actually really interested in travel. They're really interested in adventure. But they seem to be as interested in the kit and the things you can buy about that uh, kind of adventure. It's, it's like somebody who uh, doesn't cook but buys an awful lot of very expensive pans. I have to say, I'm not that kind of a guy. I'm not someone who can go into the workshop, take a few bits of metal, weld them together and come up with something that's going to look fantastic on top of my car. I think if I was to do that, I'd damage the paint on the car, I'd scratch it, it would fall off. The whole thing would be a complete disaster. What I'm really interested in are people. I'm interested in listening and talking. And that, for me, is where my photography comes from. And it's why, to me, the camera is of absolutely no relevance, just in the same way that Kit is in, of no relevance. Anyway, not criticising those films. I actually found myself watching them in a, a kind of slow TV kind of a way. A little bit to do with research, I have to say. Um, there's one where he goes to Iceland and he just seems to get very angry. Anyway, I wish Thomas Heaton a lot of luck. He's obviously doing good things. It's just not the thing that I really think photography is about. This week, we welcome to the podcast to explain to us what photography means to him in under five minutes. A very interesting photographer called Massimo Liadini, originally from Catalica in the Italian province of Rimini. He's now been based in Norway for the past 30 years, where he works with a small number of models on extended collaborations. He's published several books of his work, including Scandinavian in 2013, Katasi in 2015, Primitive in 2016, and In Between in 2017. In 2020, he published Elv, E-L-V, in which he explores his fascination with the female body and the landscape. Wow, landscape photography coming up. One of those themes coming up in the podcast without me realising it. Anyway, he presents a series of images, including contorted fragments of the female body, set deep within the primordial forests of Scandinavia. His work has been widely exhibited internationally and in Norway. Hello, uh, my name is Massimo Lerdini. I'm a photographer. Uh, I've been a photographer for the past 35 years. And uh, originally from Italy, but I have lived and worked in Oslo, Norway for the past 30 years. First of all, I want to thank you for inviting me. Uh, this is really a great question and uh, uh, also a very difficult question to answer. Uh, what does photography means to me? The short and quick answer is uh, photography um, means basically everything is, is for me is the, is, the, is like, you know, the, the air that you breathe and the, the people you love, uh, photography offers, offers me 
and in, I mean, is, is for me a new, unique way of of seeing and interpreting uh, uh, the world, the life I live, and and I think is a very powerful medium uh, for to communicate ideas and especially emotion. I use um, especially the the past 20 years. Use nature. Uh, a lot as a as a canvas for my for my ideas um, and my favorite arena to work with my photography is uh, our photo books i love this intimate experience to work and um, editing images on paper And uh, yeah, but my yes, you know, I I don't believe in explaining photography uh, because I think the magic is lost. Um, I would like the viewer to be able to imagine their personal stories about my work and hopefully be moved what 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 they see. So I. I'm really very found in in Diana Arbus quote uh, when she said photography is a secret about a secret the more you know the less you understand and my personal work is only black and white I I I, I want to just keep all the color away and because My photography, I think, is much more about a feeling, uh, a structure, or form. Can be the, the the nature or the body, and and my immersion in nature uh, with the nature and bodies, even if they are very distinct from each other, uh, I think are in the same way very inseparable and uh, uh, as and for me it was a very important move to move to Norway there is a mystical almost dramatic light uh, and I like to think that I actually was born and lived for a long time in the land of Fellini and uh, i live I've lived and worked for most of my adult life in the land of Ingmar Bergman. Ultimately, I think beauty in photography is very subjective. Uh, the way we interpret and appreciate it is very much influenced by our personal experience, our cultural background and individual preference but I think beauty in the world is uh, especially now is is a very important thing to have I couldn't agree with you more, Massimo, and thank you very much for your contribution this week. Really, I think 
putting down very clearly the importance of emotion, of the lived experience in the making of uh, photographic work, and what contribution couldn't be improved by the mentions of Fellini and Bergman. Anyway, uh, if you're not aware of his work, and I guess a lot of you probably won't be, he does uh, go pretty much under the radar, uh, do make sure you check out his website. That's Massimo, M-A-S-S-I-M-O, Liardini, L-E-A-R-D-I-N-I. They're really beautiful images, very understated, very quiet, but at the same time, very powerful. There's no way of segueing from what Massimo is talking about to what I'm about to talk about now. So I'm just going to dive straight in. Um, when I start talking about this, please don't turn off your radios, your phones or leave the episode. Stick with it, please. What I'm going to talk about is NFTs. Do you remember NFTs? Big thing a year or so ago, Bill Shapiro and I kind of batted it around. I wrote a few articles and I very clearly put forward my feelings that it seemed to me like a bunch of snake oil salesmen and something that had absolutely nothing really to do with photography. Well, a news story in the art newspaper in the last week I think, puts a little bit of a full stop to that. So I'm going to read what they say. Uh, NFT marketplace OpenSea ends its resale royalty policy, sparking industry-wide backlash. The leading NFT sales site is replacing its mandatory artist royalties with an at-will tipping model, whatever that may be. OpenSea, the largest non-fungible token marketplace, still in the business of enforcing resale royalty payments to artists, announced on the 17th of August that it plans to suspend the mandatory collection of artist resale fees. As the NFT market continues its decline from the crest of Web3's runaway popularity in 2021, was it really that long ago? I only thought it was a year ago. Anyway, it seems as, as if that was the case. But they go on to say OpenSea's move to transform one of the most attractive aspects of blockchain trading for artists into an at-will tipping system echoes broader industry trends towards austerity. Starting in March 2024, sellers will have the option to give artists a percentage of the original sale price, a shift from the guaranteed resale model of years past. The OpenSea operator filter through which users set their desired royalty payment percentage will sunset. That's an American expression there for end. On the 31st of August, this decision did not happen in a vacuum. Blur, which is now the biggest NFT marketplace by volume, enforces a minimum 5% royalty fee on the majority of its collections. Royalty payments to creators across the sector peaked in April 2022, reaching uh, ETH 28,000, uh, nearly $76 million, in a single week of creator earnings. By comparison, in June 2023's peak week, creators collectively earned ETH 2,000, around 3.8 million. Creators themselves typically set their fees at 5% to 10%, a range that matches OpenSea's original policy. Well, there you go. You pays your money, you takes your choice. My choice is still keep ignoring it. 
I said last week that I had a lot to uh, fit into last week's episode and I didn't quite manage it. You can probably tell that this week um, I'm trying to get as much in as I possibly can. Although I have to say the last week I have had COVID, the return of COVID. I think it's the Danish COVID, I'm not sure. Anyway, so... um, I might be a little breathy, uh, a little bit uh, nasally. I apologise if that's the case. Anyway, uh, final story really for this episode I want to try and get in. Uh, Went to see an exhibition recently, a group show of work, uh, beautifully presented, professionally printed, uh, absolutely nothing that I could criticise or comment on the way in which the uh, exhibition was staged. I I can't be negative about it, I should say. Uh, It was beautifully lit. Everything about it was great. The problem I had with it was the work. Not that the work wasn't very professional, not that it wasn't incredibly well uh, considered uh, and achieved. It was just really flat. I found it really boring. And the reason for that was because I'd seen all the photographs before. Not the actual photographs, but photographs like them. It was very easy to walk around and look at the work and directly connect the images on the walls with photographers' work that I'd seen previously. The influences were really clear. The influences for me were too clear. Everything was produced with a fantastic polish, but a little bit like listening to a drum machine rather than a set of drums. The work lost the energy, the spontaneity, that element of risk, that element of danger, it felt all incredibly controlled. And it made me feel that perhaps one of the key problems was that the subject matters that were being addressed, we had also seen so often before. I saw recently that the British Journal of Photography um, tweeted something about one of their new issues, maybe, or maybe it's an article. I don't look at it very often, I have to be honest. Anyway, they said this, uh, photography's rules are to be broken, and I quite agree with that. Having become frustrated with the medium's conventions, five artists discuss how sculpture, 3D maquettes, activism and x-rays keep photography alive in their work. Really? Do we really need to dismiss photography, take it into those other art forms to keep it alive? I have no problem with that. Uh, experimentation. In fact, I encourage it. I think it's great. Using photography and other contemporary practice art forms is a great thing. But surely we don't have to leave photography to get excited about photography. It seems very strange, once again by the British Journal of Photography, making these kinds of statements. It feels as if everybody's kind of thrashing around trying to find something new rather than focusing on what could be done. As always, that's where I am. Can we actually focus on new ways of telling stories, new ways of creating images? It wouldn't be photography without the people in the past who did that. There's really no point in my mind in just copying what they did. It's really important to find out what you want to do and to do it. 
Anyway, uh, as I said, I think I've had COVID over the last week. I'm feeling better now. It's getting a little bit chillier. Everybody's getting back to school. It will soon be time for me to shine up my satchel. Um, but of course, what I'm going to suggest to all of you in this uh, incredibly uh, rapidly changing world, socially, economically and politically, just take care. Mm-hmm.